Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and entertainment, media, all different kinds of topics. I'm Joe Favorito with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe, and happy holidays to you. Same to you. you. I don't know. I wasn't on the last podcast, and I can't remember if you actually said happy holidays. I did not. get that out officially. Happy New Year as well. All right. So Our um, last one of 2018. Anything you want to say before we start with our guest about end of the year? Uh, It was uh, a really chaotic year in the business. End of the year is interesting, and, and I tweeted something out before because, and we'll talk a little bit about our guests kind of ties to the basketball and the NBA a little bit, but it is um, in the last 48 hours, the NBA came out with three more crazy announcements, like they have to jam everything before Christmas. They're going to have their first game in India. Yeah, I saw that. Another uh, gambling partnership with Patty Power and a physical building relationship to do stuff with Disney to build more places where people can go and engage like an NBA star. I found that fascinating, yeah. particularly on the heels of the NFL yeah. shutting down yeah. the NFL experience yeah. here in New York City. Yeah. So we can talk a little bit about that. The one that got me, Joe, that um, I'm sure you saw the other day when Sports Business Journal just came out with its end-of-year mm-hmm. issue on the 50 most influential executives in sports. Number one, do you... Did yes, you, was not an executive. Was not an executive. It was the, the gambling... The American sports gambler. Yes. So. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Yep. Um, just an indication of how much that uh, that business change is going to affect this yep. uh, this industry. Um, I couldn't help but tweeting that out and then saying it's just a matter of time before the American teenager mm-hmm. becomes the most influential person in the sports. Which business. may already be. By As the I way. said, change so, is coming. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the ni- in the twenties, sometime within the next five years, they'll have to do something on this as as a uh, in the similar vein. And talk about media, and we're going to talk about media and kind of projecting forward in a couple seconds. But uh, CBS kind of dropping a little bomb on Nielsen, saying that they're going to not renew their contract and maybe won't use Nielsen ratings going forward on anything that they, they measure. All right, that is, is a little bit of a, a bomb, stink yeah. bomb in this yeah. business since tens of billions of dollars are traded on those Nielsen ratings, yep. so we'll see. So. Uh, a lot of lot of complications in that one. Anyway, go so for the let's intro. Let's talk a little bit about disruption. And, and we've been lucky enough on this podcast for people who've listened for the 130-so episodes that we've done not to really be first adopters, but to look at kind of interesting topics with disruptive business models a little bit before the curve kind of comes around, whether it's three-on-three basketball or lacrosse or uh, some of the other things that we've done right e-sports. before the kind of esports. Uh, another two one. years ago. Yep, and gaming. Um, uh, the one we're going to talk about today is kind of the market and and athletes and the value of athletes and the market as in the financial financial market market the real market yep um (laughs) and uh as uh some people know yep i did this um we did this play with vince lombardi uh on broadway with tony pontour and one of the great lines was was in it was uh dan laurie who played lombardi always talked about how you come from good stock and that's how you can judge and our guest today peter gordine certainly comes from interesting stock uh, his father was intimately involved with the NBA Players Association and the NBA for a long time. He played football at Brown, Peter did, uh, and was lucky enough both to be Brown and a Fordham Law grad, so that kind of raises things a right. little bit. He's got a son at Columbia now and a daughter at Brown, which we talked about. His wife's a Columbia graduate, and he's running a business now called Home Court Capital, which is the most interesting thing I've probably said so far because we're going to talk about that. So, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, guys. Happy holidays yeah. to all. Thank yep. you. Great to have you. Go, so go so before we get into to Home Court Capital, 
tell us a little bit about your background for people who may not know the history of Simon Gordine and how you got involved and worked at the NBA and got to the point where you are now. Well, I have to, I would be remiss if I didn't at least add further color. We also have a seven-year-old. There you go. Wow. A seven-year-old second grade daughter who wow. if I force her to listen and she listens and hears about her brother and her sister and doesn't get a mention, yep. you you will forgive okay. me for that. That's the way it works. So, um, so Big yeah, decision absolutely. on what college she's going to. In, in, in no, 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 no pressure there, right? <laughs> right no pressure right. there. Whatever she decides right. is fine mm-hmm. by us. Um, so, yes, I, um, I, I consider myself a, a basketball lifer. My father was deputy commissioner, started working in the league in 1970, a few years before I even made my first appearance, mm-hmm. um, and then was, became deputy commissioner in 1974 and was with the league um, until the early 80s. Left for a bunch of years and then came back on the Players Association side, first to general counsel, and then uh, eventually as executive director in the mid-90s. So to say that I grew up around the sport of basketball it would, <laughs> would be an understatement. I um, Joe, you'll appreciate this specifically. My father passed away in 2012, but he used to always tell a story at a bad back, chronically bad back. And I'm not a small guy. And whenever anybody asked, the origins, he used to say, and he'd point to me, because we used to go to every Nick home game, mm. and he'd sit in the league seats, and he would point to the stairs, and he'd say, you would fall asleep by halftime, and I'd have to carry you out every single game. There you go. And that's why I am the way I am. <laughs> yeah, um, so it was really... Uh, I mean, obviously, a terrifically exciting um, experience being his son for so many different reasons. Um, Early on, when I was just a little kid, it was just kind of all I knew, and it was incredibly exciting and different than what most other kids had done. But it didn't feel different to me because it was what I knew. Fast forward a few years, and I'm in college, and he is at the Players Association. Well, that had a little more cachet because I was older and it was a little more exciting to have that sports angle. And then I myself joined the NBA family after college, I would say I graduated in 95, so in 1996, I started working for Ahmad Rashad mm-hmm. as his assistant. That's wow. how I first joined wow. the league. And everyone assumes with the NBA connection that I ended up at the NBA because of my father, and the reality of it is I had a family friend who was, um, I had a, a classmate from high school who was dear friends with Ahmad and his wife, who told me that he was looking for assistant. an assistant, knew me, thought it would be a perfect fit. That's how I ended up at the NBA. So was he working for the NBA then or NBC? He was working for the NBA. He had he worked for NBC, but he also did inside stuff. With Willow right. Bay. I remember, I remember that Willow show. With Bay. Yeah. For years and years, as well as mm-hmm. kind of Ahmad was very much a jack-of-all-trades at right. the NBA. Uh, still, I think, but certainly back then. So I worked for him, and then this sort of naturally segued into broadcasting and spent almost 12 years in the broadcasting department at the NBA. What kind of work in that department? We managed our, my department specifically, I managed our network relationships. Part of how I know Joe is if the Knicks were the game of the week on NBC or featured on Turner or whatever. One of us, one of our broadcast reps, would be on site for every nationally televised game. I see. And we facilitated okay. interviews, camera access, player access, anything mm-hmm. the network needed that would sort of deviate from your standard game day operations was channeled through us and, and involved a great deal of travel and a lot of interaction with players, coaches. It was. Mm-hmm. So you guys met back in the 90s? Late 90s, yeah. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So some history here. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So it was great. It was great to grow up around it. It was great to work there. And I would say around 2004, I 
went to law school at Fordham at night. Got my degree while working in the broadcast department, which made for a very interesting four years of my life. And then upon graduation left, um, became a lawyer, practiced at a couple of large New York firm, firms for the last 10 years, and uh, got me to why well, I got invited to come wow. talk to you guys here today. Well, wait, we got to go back to that. What, what was, so you're in the broadcasting business, and then one day you decide you want to go to law school. What was the motivation? Well, my father was a lawyer, grew up around it. I looked at sort of, I always sort of historically looked at people who had those jobs, whether it was Commissioner Stern or Adam, any of these guys, Russ Granick, they were all lawyers. Mm-hmm. I always assumed, my father always said, law school would give you options. Mm-hmm. And in life, you always want to have options. Right. And it stuck with me. And I kind of just assumed I would go to law school. When I mentioned the Ahmad Rashad introduction, I was at the time studying to be a lawyer. I had taken my LSATs. I was all set. That's what I was going to do. Well, fast forward a dozen years and wow. working at the league and traveling and all that. And so it was, it was almost like something that just inevitable, was inevitable and that just delayed its beginning. Cool. All right. So the new the new business. The yeah, new it's business. pretty crazy crazy business. Joe, I, I've I've read up on it. Joe knows about it. So you got to tell everybody what you're doing. I am president of a startup called Homecourt Capital, which we're super excited about. And what we do at Homecourt Capital is make equity investments in early career professional athletes across the three major sports: football, basketball, baseball. And essentially, what our model is is we have a an analytic platform, big data-driven platform. Which you've, which your company's created. Proprietary yep. platform, which mm-hmm. we've created. I mean, look, mm-hmm. in this day and age, data is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Teams are using it. Gambling sites are using it. Everybody's using data. So I, I'm, I don't mean to suggest we have data that other people don't have. It's what we feel we've been able mm-hmm. to do with that data that makes us comfortable enough to make predictions on career success going forward of professional athletes in the across the three major sports. Yep. Very important to us is that a lot of our data is derived from that those rookie year statistics, specifically in football and basketball, and I would say more early career in baseball for a number of reasons specific to those leagues. And what we do is we feel that this this quant can predict who's going to have a lengthy playing career. So our model is we offer an upfront cash payment in exchange for a percentage of future income going forward. We feel that our offering is particularly attractive for precisely that reason. We are assuming all of the risk. If that player does not, for whatever reason, make that money going forward, they're not liable to us for any repayment. It's not Mm -hmm. a loan, Mm -hmm. it's an investment. Mm -hmm. And that is something we feel really comfortable that we can get behind and sell. Wow, well let's let's just go back to the to the uh, proprietary technology or the, pl- mm-hmm. the, the data platform that you have, mm-hmm. you, you still need to bring in the data. Where are you getting the data from? You're licensing it from right now. Radar it's from or all something? publicly available sources. Publicly and I have. I should. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that my partner is a, a gentleman named Guy Fisher, who just recently left as acting head of investments for the largest bank in Israel, Bank Leumi. Um Super brilliant mathematician, finance guy, quant guy, who's really the, the genius behind the development of the quant. Right, So, but the data, to be clear, is, is uh, I, I guess you'd call it kind of the top-line performance data. You're not getting biometric data or any, like, Correct. from people's, pers- you know, from their bodies. Correct. Right. Yes. Still, yeah. yeah, well, that's what yeah. I'm getting at, yeah. yeah. Yet. Because that seems to be the next level of 
analysis I mean, I'm for a, agents and such. I am a lawyer, right. and I am a lawyer by trade, and I recognize there are so many sort of complicating factors around that. It certainly seems to me that that's a direction everybody is headed. Right. But who's going to get there first? Yeah. Who's who owns own, it? Who yeah. owns it? Right. Who's going to be able to use it? And whatever the answers are to that today might very well change yeah. a year mm -hmm. from now. But it certainly seems if you have the capability to track, to monitor, to use that kind of data, it's, Peter, it's it feels inevitable. like this could be an epic clash between leagues and players associations because mm. it's only going to get more sophisticated. And the I remember da the data access. The da yeah, yeah uh, uh, what I'd call the personal data, like the stuff coming from your person, not your performance, like my sleep patterns, my oxygenation level, et cetera, right? All the stuff they're starting to test. Joe, if you go back to MIT Sloan a couple of years when they did a, uh, uh, a panel on performance analytics, mm. when it was kind of a newer topic, Andrew Hawkins. Yep our friend who played in the NFL, graduated from the Columbia program, yep. wonderful guy, uh, was the only player on the panel. And all these executives were breathless talking about all that could be done and all the value of the personal data. And, and at one hit was his turn. He's like, hey, guys, every, slow down, everybody. We haven't addressed this issue vis-a-vis sure. -vis ownership rights. And I don't necessarily like the idea of my personal data coming off of my body being shared by organizations, leagues, whatever. Uh, so in other words, we got a lot of we got a lot of thinking to do of how this is going to play out. So anyway, I throw that well, in there all because it's, it's going to get more interesting. It's a lot of thinking to do. Yeah. Obviously, these sports are governed by the collective bargaining agreements, right. and I can't imagine that if it's not. And I don't have any inside knowledge or access to it, but I would say that I cannot imagine that it's not something everybody. These are very bright, very forward-thinking individuals in all the sports are aware of, right. at least discussing. So one of the other things I'd like to know how it factors into this, and obviously there's analytics, um, I would imagine some form of grit or personality when you meet these men or women will factor into that as well. Is it What's the process and, and, um, that you would go through normally with X player saying, do you sit down with them first and say, hey, this is what we want to do, tell us a little bit about your background and... You know, you're sitting there while they're eating a cheesesteak or a salad, deciding, well, maybe this is a guy that we want or we don't want. How does that kind of intangible factor into something like this? Well, I will start by reiterating that it's, it's driven by the quant. Mm -hmm. So we're not just looking to sign any player who plays in any one of the three major professional sports. We're looking for a select group of athletes. So it's, there's a natural selection process just based on our, our own internal analytics. So we're looking at people who grade out on a certain scale mm -hmm. according to our internal models. So I will start with that. So by definition, you're already talking about high, I mean, look, let's face it, if you've made it to say they're all high the top of your professional right. league, you're all right. high performance. So <laughs> we'll start with that. But it's those that we really think have that potential and so confidently that we're willing to write a check mm. virtually on the spot. So that's, half, that's an important half of it in the driver. But obviously the, the, the equally as important is precisely those types of factors that you're looking at. Of course you do your research and your due diligence. You, you know, obviously you do your standard background. So many things are so publicly available now. You just have to do your research. And ultimately, if there is something that for whatever reason gives you pause, and you have to seriously consider we are an investment firm, we have investors, and we have to be able to justify our investments. Right. Peter, we're always interested in kind of the money side of it, and a lot of people don't like to talk about the money side. Can you talk about how much money you've raised at launch? 
Yes, we're very, very um, pleased to say that we've raised $150 million in committed capital towards to back home core capital's investments. And was that something that you were looking at originally as a number, or it's it, the, kind of the the response has been beyond or what you thought it was going to be? No, that's the number we obviously that was our dream number, but it was a number we were very fortunate to hit. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have a, uh, any history yet, or you, we're just getting this going? We're just getting launched. Okay, we launched two weeks ago. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, yeah, December, wow. almost right. two you weeks ago. You heard it here first. So you heard it here almost so first. So no announcements to make no today? No announcements to make today, <laughs> but uh, I should also stress, <laughs> if and when we do make the announcements, it'll be we've signed X, not we've signed this player to this deal. Right. Because it, what is of critical importance to us is the discretionary aspect yeah. of this. Discretionary for us mm-hmm. and the discretion. Of course, yeah. It's you know if now if if our clients feel differently that's another story that we can talk about but we don't feel it's our position to publish. But a quick follow up question is how are you doing the marketing of this how are you making these connections to kind of make your approaches and close deals? Is it through the agents or is it through combines? How how do you? Kind I'm going to I'm going to answer both of those questions to mm-hmm. go back to your yeah. question previously. What types of conversations you, are you having? Some of them are over a breakfast, you know, bowl of cereal. Mm. Some are informal business meetings set up by agents. Others are through a call from a family member who says, my nephew is interested and are you. Right. Mm. Um, so part of it is proactive outreach. Part of it is, and that's why we have had such an important last couple of weeks. We sort of had an, a, formal, a, a formal launch to get the messaging out oh. because and what I have found in developing this business over time is the messaging is critical. And our key selling factor is that we make investments, not loans. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever you hear people in that space, they inevitably make connections to things that are familiar. And those are things that are not exactly what we're doing. So it's important for us to get our message out is, right. what, we're, is what I'm talking about. Joe, I'm about. sure you're thinking some of the same thoughts I am about this connection to the world of ballers. Like, <laughs> I, I think you guys should try to get a cameo appearance for, I don't for the watch next ballers, season. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I should because <laughs> let's just say it's not the first time I've heard it. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of interesting stuff behind the scenes about what's happening between agents and managers and financial advisors with and, young and players. And having worked on Creed too, I could factor Victor Drago into this too if you really <laughs> wanted to. So, but. And you know, and, it, and it, the, the reality is it's all very case-specific. Just like our investments are case-specific, how you arrive at the relationship with your client is very individual. Some like to speak directly. Some have... Right formal representation, some have informal representation, the answer is it depends. Do you want to get them after they've already signed, or like, let's say, high potential 18-year-olds? We are, that is, that is, again, that high potential 18-year-old goes into all that other bucket. Okay. In other words, once we've, our, our, we're, we're focused on, because our quant is based on that, those professional statistics. Right. Because okay. what we're doing, how we feel so solidly about our, our analytics is because we're comparing apples to apples. Right. If you are Zion Williamson, and you are maybe a bad example, but if you're playing it, <laughs> he's, he's the exception to everybody's <laughs> rule. If you are a player at Duke or you're a player at Drexel, you might end up projecting out similarly, but how do you make that analysis if right. you were if you were a rookie in Orlando or you're a rookie in Denver, well now that's a comparison that we feel more comfortable Interesting. with. Interesting. So you so potentially a sweet spot would be players who have one year of experience in the pros. That's uh, ideal. 
Right, and they're obviously kind of, and they're, kind of, and they're kind of there. out of fork. They're either going to probably start making it or. Well, they're yeah. on their, in the respective leagues, mostly on, I'm speaking generally, but on a rookie contract. So right. they're doing probably pretty well. Right. Um, it's all obviously a relative term. Right. But there is a significant risk factor. Of course, yeah. In anything any of us do, certainly in professional sports and certainly across the various professional sports. I think that's really where we come in. So it's almost like a, I'm sorry, Joe, no, just one more follow-up on that. It's almost like... It's VC-like in that you're making a lot of bets, expecting many of them not to work out. But when you get those one or two that do, that's how you make the business work. I wouldn't say that we expect many of them not to work out. I mean, statistically, probably more than 50% But things don't work out for whatever reason. Just like part of the sales pitch to any potential client is, look, it might not be for everybody. But as we all know, things happen. There are materially unforeseen changes in circumstance. There is injury risk. There are things that just simply don't work out. Coach conflicts where they may not be able to play. Coach conflicts, you get in a bad situation, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we've all found ourselves in bad situations, which oftentimes can be very difficult to sort of change course, losing culture, winning culture. So many factors. So, yes, obviously we know that they're not all going to work out. If our analytics are right and if we choose the quality person correctly and, uh, and, and partner with the right people and they go on to have long, productive careers, then I think it's a win-win for everybody. Is, um, you mentioned baseball. Is baseball a harder predictor because of the system that baseball is set up in? And the NFL, obviously, with their farm system being the NCAA, and and the NBA being the and way the it Alliance is. of American Football and the Alliance. XFL, don't right, forget. Right. Well, <laughs> that's that's for another con- right. conversation. But um, do you weigh those out? Do do you somewhere down the line think that you may have more basketball, football players than baseball players just because of the system that baseball is? As far as being confident enough in the the analytics, yes. I think that um, no, I think we see equal opportunity mm-hmm. across the three sports. Obviously, you factor in all sorts of different variables when making investments across the three sports, current economic climate, how you predict the next collective bargaining agreement will look or the TV rights. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you want to get a look at the total pool because that will ultimately affect and impact what people are going to, mm-hmm. ultimately, the players are ultimately going to make. But I think we see from a quant standpoint the opportunities there across mm-hmm. all three. How did the business come about? I mean, that's the one thing I yeah, just kind of sit here like, how the hell yeah. did you come up with this one? So, so, and I think there was an article written a couple of weeks ago, and it was how does a, you know, the son of a deputy commissioner and right. an Israeli finance guy get together. But we have, I have a group of, shall I say, advisors, um, and we've been talking about this idea for months, for months, longer than months, for a year and a half at least. But the quant has to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And... Doesn't just have to be there, especially when we're, we're and I'll get to the post fundraising phase, which is where we are now. But in the fundraising investor phase, you have to the quant has to be solid. So there was a period of time revising, revolving the predictive factor of the quant, right? Getting the accuracy to a level that we're comfortable saying we can make these investments to this degree, percentage certainty. Come invest with us. There and let us go out and sell it yeah. because because we have a product we believe in. Mm-hmm. So this was over time, and then I connected with Guy, I would say about a year and a half ago, when I was still practicing in private practice as a lawyer, as a litigator, and he was still 
on the investment side in the bank, but we're sports fans. And how do we marry the two? How do you know, is the old adage, do what you love? Right. Well, this seemed to be the perfect, perfect confluence. Um, and so when we got the data there, he and I made the commitment to really go forward. And if and when we could secure the necessary funding to really go out on our own and hang our shingle. And Can you talk about your funding happen. sources? Did you do friends we and family, institutional? or We went to institutions. We went to friends and families. Ultimately, it's few high net worth individuals. I don't think any of them want to be um, disclosed, but a private, uh, closely held investment company, a private tech company, and a few high net worth individuals. Wow. Who, who, again, believe in the quant, believe in the model, believe in the scalability of the model, right? We're not there yet, and we just launched, so I'd right. like to stay grounded with our, our primary mission, but we believe that there are opportunities, obviously, beyond the three sports that we're focused on right now, if and when we can get the analytics to back up those investments. Right, which will take some time to prove which out. Which will take some time. Yeah. And then you mentioned, without mentioning names, which you probably can't, an advisory board. Are they athletes, coaches, doctors? How do you kind of come up with an advisory board? Lawyers, investment mm-hmm. advisors, um, couple of former athletes, mm-hmm. kind of like a hodgepodge of, um, and we'll see if we, we get more formal with that going forward, but right mm-hmm. now, similar to my investors, just my support team. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got to hear, what kind of reaction are you getting from would-be clients? I It's been, again, it's only been a couple of weeks, right. and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but to a person, people have said, this just simply makes sense, right? right? Mm-hmm. There's a market for it. What has been borne out by the feedback I've gotten is that the market is there. Is it for everybody? The answer is no, it's not for everybody. But it is certainly a more attractive option than some of the things you're hearing about athletes, you know, where they're getting access to accelerated capital now and on what terms. There are a lot of, you know, there are people in the lending space. There are people who are, that's not what we are. Right. Right. And that's really attractive to people. Yeah, exactly. Do you ask them what they're going to do with the money? Absolutely not. Good. That's, that's probably a absolutely question. not. But so when the Ball family comes, we're not going to ask them what they're what they're going to do. But so. if the Ball family comes right. and says, "Do you have any advice on what I should do with the money? Great. Do you have any recommendations on who I can talk to?" Spencer well, Strassmore. <laughs> that's far more what we're selling. Right. right? Is the ability because of the advisor, but because of the background in finance and law and all. Well, we can help, but everybody, see, we're, again, we're talking about people that are already there. Yes. They have their established representation. They have their financial, most likely have certainly agents, financial advisors, mm-hmm. interested parties. We're not very cre- careful not to be trying to step into that space. Right. And also, it's a different, now, it's a, it's a very different proposition if I give you money, but set any sort of conditions on what you can do with right. it. Right, right, Then I'm not really course, giving yeah. you money. Right. That's not what we're doing. But Peter, mm-hmm. is it a sliding scale based on the attractiveness of the opportunity for your, for your company? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. And that's what I meant by the ones that, that it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all investment. But structurally, it it's the same. It would just slide structurally in terms it's the of the same. equity. It's, and, a, right. it's, it's an, a, an investment for a percentage. Right. The investment varies according to the athlete, positions, board, everything. And the percentage will change. But ultimately, you know, we, are, we obviously have a range. I want to get the, do this in the acting business. Imagine this would be a big uh, business in Hollywood. Mm. Well, <laughs> could be. well, Hollywood's fascinating right? because obviously I get that <laughs> right. a lot right. about what are the most yeah, analogous go, right. industries. What is different about sports is the 
finite nature of it. So you know when you're partnering with us, you're not contemplating arrangement where 40 years down the line, you're still going to have to (laughs) be paying home core capital 10% of your income. Mm. That's a very different proposition. Professional sports careers are, by definition, finite in length. And that defines and drives our investments. What what are the updated uh, uh, career expectancies these days? You must know this by heart. I I, I don't. I do, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, mm, I okay. think I saw something recently in basketball that was like five to seven. Yeah, yeah and, and I think it felt like three and a half. And then it fell like three and a half to four. And look, you know, if you know, it's not that difficult to do the math. Is that what we are making our investments in on is counting on the player in whatever sport wow. getting to their next contract. Yep. Another sport that would seem to make sense listening to this story is golf. Is that, well, does that, does that make sense to you? My understanding no. is that this, as, as analogous as I'm aware of a model that's been tried has been in golf. Mm. Okay. Again, with the quant, I think it's a different proposition. Right. I think you're talking about a lot younger right. players, so then the investment is far more speculative. You know, we feel comfortable. We're already talking about people that have achieved a certain level right. of success it, it, and are already yeah. in a system right. where they're making an investment decision whether or not they want to partner with right. Core Capital. That's different than going to some 14-year-old and saying, if you hit it big, you've got to yeah. pay us for it. It's just a, it's just a different business. Right. Right. Wow. And but tennis yes. and even esports. I mean, that's <laughs> what you're thinking about. But this is obviously you know kind of the devil that you're dealing with because you've seen this guy or potential woman, WNBA. Sure. Or, um, around for a while. So. And you know, I've gotten the eSport question. It's obviously very hot Oof. topic right now. Wild West. And it's Wild West. The money is, from what I understand, I'm not an eSport expert, mm. but the money is its turning out to be pretty lucrative. Mm. How do you make those sort of, again, investments backed up by a, a check? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. How do you comfortably make that investment well, in eSport? And also, Peter, the quantum that is not even close to being established as it is for the main sports. Right. It was so, funny. And, f- and certainly, to, just to mm-hmm. answer that, and, but not just the quant, but you've got to be able to test your quant and its predictive value. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The only way you do that is by back testing. Right. And then through years and years of right. data. And this is just too new. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So, wow. um, yeah. This very, is really very cool. awesome. And, and this will be one that obviously we're going to be revisiting as public clients one, two, three, and four somewhere come along, you know, hopefully in the next six or eight months. You ever do deals with From podcasters that right, have exactly. high potential? Roll, roll the dice. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make you a deal right now. So so before we let you go, um, we asked people two general questions. How do you stay constant on what's going on? And obviously this is new, so you'd have to really stay involved. And then for people, you've been around enough now, for people who are either coming into an industry, young people trying to get involved, what advice do you give people? Um, I don't know if I have any uh, reinvent the wheel type answers to your first question. Obviously, social media is incredibly important. From our, from the diligent side, social media is incredibly important. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, how many things have come to light because somebody posted it, or because um, somebody Snapchatted right. it thinking it was... A, so we, it, we were simply would be irresponsible for us making real hard money investments in players not to do our diligence on a social media right. standpoint. Um, but I don't, again, think there's a secret sauce as far as relevancy. I think messaging is important. I think quality control is important. 
I think not letting somebody run with your messaging is critical, hmm. right? If you hear it from me, I know that you know what I'm selling. If you hear it from somebody else, I can't have that same confidence. Uh, but back to you personally, how do you stay smart? What, who do you follow? What do you read? How do you keep up on this? Because you really do need to know a lot of, of different aspects of this business with, mm-hmm. this, with this new venture. And how I would stay relevant and how my partner Guy stays relevant because the reality is what I do is important. What he does is at least equally important. You have to be making sure your data points are not to yeah not current. to mention that part of it right and that what the, the sort of secret sauce is we've dubbed what we what we are doing that it that it stays current and movable mm-hmm. in Evolves, other words that right. it's constantly evolving yeah. there's mm-hmm. a machine learning aspect exactly. to that which naturally happens right. so you just have to be aggressive yeah mm-hmm. you have to be a voracious but what are your go to sources for yeah for for good information on the analytics you. side I don't know if I could answer it but I read all the journals. Yeah. I read all the public, obviously the, the landmarks and the and Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter again. Guy. All right, there we go again. Keeps well, coming up. Well, I'll tell I you. I think this might catch on, Joe. I well, yeah, Twitter. <laughs> it, it, What's let's the guy's just name? Say, bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and um, part two about advice. Mm-hmm. So this is now, and you and I were talking about this before about reinvention. Yep. And I think it's important to. And I have college-age children, so when they ask me what they should be doing, I think it's important to have kind of three- to five-year plans. Where do you see yourself? I think it's very important to take a look at where you are, identify the people in front of you, and ask yourself if they have what you want. And -hmm. if the answer is no, then you have to decide for yourself if the path you're on is the correct one. Then what you do with that could be a couple different things. You can change what it is you want. You can decide that where you are, there's still an opportunity for you to define yourself differently. Or you might decide that it's not the right place and you should go and do something else. And I think that not assuming that something is too late because of age, because of it. We all have our individual circumstances and factor into career choices and career. But you at least have to be active because you do not want to wake up one day and it really is too late. Right. We mentioned this on uh, when I watched the first episode of The Shop, LeBron's show. Right. He had Snoop Dogg on, and, and they all kind of looked at him like, old man, how do you stay, you know, how do you stay up there? And he goes, I have to stay relevant with everything that's going on. And they all kind of sat back. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, you know, John Stewart sat there and says, oh, you know, as a, an older Jewish guy, I kind of agree with what he's saying. So, um, um, Let me ask just a, a follow, sure. quick follow-up question, because yep. you, you made an interesting transformation. You were a corporate guy. Yep. You worked at a, a large league. You worked yep. at, it sounds like, a big law firm. That's right. And you woke up one day and said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. That's right. Yeah. So can can you comment on, like, what do you think that takes? What do you, well, what do Peter's you wife is outside. We should probably bring oh. her in and say, well, well, why don't we ask her? Yeah, well, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough, my wife, who is a lawyer as well, was in private practice for 20 years and went to do something similarly entrepreneurial a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. she, if she had to answer, honestly, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if she yeah. would. Um, what, it, does it ta- what does it take? I think that you, things happen in your life and you realize or it's hammered home or made apparent that life is short. And if there are opportunities out there that you feel exist, you ha- you, I felt that I owe it to myself to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Just a shot. Because I never wanted to have to answer that later on should I have? Could I have? And that's why I'm here today. That's yeah. why I'm doing it. And that's why I'm doing what I'm promising I, to myself it's I'd do. It's an outstanding answer. Yes. Simple. It's a great answer. Really. That's, that's excellent. Well, good for you for doing it. Thank yeah. you. 
Cool. So, all right. Uh, how do fun. people follow? Well, you know, where where should we direct people to? Um, the thousands of people will be sending resumes right. pretty soon. Right. So that's been the most interesting part. I I'm never, sure. I've never been so popular. I'll yeah, tell you no, that. Well, and it's amazing how many people are willing to work for free. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? But you get what you pay for too. Home so. court, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Homecourtcap.com. There you okay. go. And okay. uh, anybody can shoot yet? me an or email. Yeah. I have, a, I think, P. Gordine one at Twitter. Okay. Um, but it's, let's just say my Twitter imprint isn't quite where it is. No. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn, obviously. Yeah. I, oh, I should say that LinkedIn has been a, um, I'm sure. a remarkably good source, mm-hmm. uh, resource source, messaging source. Sure. That's another one to And just for the record, Twitter. are you hiring or will you be hiring in 2019? Um, always open to listening to okay. you. Okay, great. Yeah the right candidate and that's the people who listen to this so. exactly cool so those of you lucky enough to listen mm-hmm. you've just heard a great story so yep so Peter Gordine the co-founder and president of Home Court Capital right. thanks for joining us on the cusp show Tom another great learning experience thank you us. Peter really thank you guys it. happy holidays once again cool so once again this was the cusp show the Columbia University sports podcast I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host Tom Richardson we'll see you down the road